it seems like his whole world was, was falling in on him. His desire was to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I think I, I mentioned the last time I preached here, the safest place, the safest place in the world is to be right in the middle of God's presence. When you're in the middle of God's presence, it's the safest place to be. This is what David was seeking to be. He wanted to go to the, the tabernacle. He wanted to go to the temple. He wanted to get where the presence of God was because he knows that's the safest place to be. He said to seek him in his temple because he knew that the day of trouble, when the day of trouble comes, that he would be safe in that place. David said his dwelling place, he will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle. Now, the word tabernacle was first mentioned back in the book of Exodus chapter 25, when the Lord spoke to Moses in Exodus 25, verse 8, he spoke to Moses, he said, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. See, the tabernacle was designed by God himself. The whole design, the structure, Everything was designed by God. God said, do it exactly like I tell you. And the tabernacle was a tent-like structure that was a covering over the Ark of the Covenant, where God's presence was. God's presence was on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. But the tabernacle was like a tent structure where God's presence God's presence was what the Shekinah glory was. His presence was there. It was even seen many times. It was a tent. But a tent was a movable structure. They, God told them to make it in the wilderness, in the tabernacle, on their way to the promised land because they was moving. The tent had to be set up and it had to be taken down. So the tabernacle was not a permanent location. That's why that word tabernacle fits our church name, because we are now presently in three locations. We're not in one location. Only the Lord knows there's probably going to be more as time goes on. But the tabernacle expressed two facts in the life of the Israelites. Number one, it stood in the center of the camp of Israel, and it represented the presence of God. Every time that tent was moved, every time the tabernacle was moved, all the tribes had to set up again all around it, but the tabernacle was in the center. Wherever the tabernacle was set up, the tribes of Israel had to set up around it to where God was in the center of all the Israelites. That's why Jesus Christ himself should be the center of everything we do here in the church. Everything we say, everything we do, whatever we try to accomplish should be centered around 
Jesus Christ, who is the head. Second of all, the tabernacle also symbolized the divinely appointed place where sinners could approach God. In other words, if a sinner wanted to approach God, he had to bring a sacrifice. He had, that was the only place you could go. There was not another place. There was no other place. A God who otherwise would be unapproachable, a man could go to the tabernacle, bring his sacrifice, and make some atonement for his sin. So I titled this message today, Life in the Tabernacle. Some time ago, the pastors and the elders of this ministry, we met on how we would promote the ministry with a name change. We wanted to change the name. What are we going to do? What, the, the church in Chalmette, where this ministry originated, where I pastored there for 15 years before Katrina, the church was always referred to as the tabernacle. You're going to the tabernacle. It started out when I got here, it was the Assembly of God tabernacle. And because of our emphasis on foreign missions got so great. I mean, we had flags in that place. We were supporting 35 missionaries. I mean, we were thinking, that we got to get out of here and think about the world. So we changed the name to World Prayer Tabernacle. And then, that's still our legal name, but we decided that we're going to do business as the Tabernacle Church. So when we promote the ministry, it's the Tabernacle Church in Chalmette, Tabernacle Church in Covington, Tabernacle Church in Metairie. King David said he sought the place where God was. But in times of trouble, he knew that God said he would hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle. So what is life like living in a tabernacle? Well, for sure, it's a supernatural experience. I believe when you come to church, it ought to be a supernatural experience. Man, just going to some dry thing, walking in and walking out. See how we had a move of the spirit in here. I thought things were going to break out in this place. It will. I've seen it happen many, many times. Especially in Chalmette when the church was huge. I mean, the spirit of God would, would break out. He would become... <laughs> Baal-parism. He, he'd be the God that would break out in our midst. And you didn't know what was going to happen. But God always showed up. But the experience, that supernatural experience is afforded to all of us. Every born-again believer, we are afforded the presence of God. God wants us to know Him. Not just by word, but by experience. By the sacrifice of God's cross, son on the cross of Calvary, when he breathed his last, the scripture says the veil in the temple that separated the presence of God from the people was torn from top to bottom, signifying that we can actually, by the sacrifice of the cross of Calvary, we can actually enter into the presence of God. Now, there's a New Testament example of what David was looking for, and that is that safe place 
that David was looking for, that place where he could go, where no trouble can overtake him. That was the place. There's a place in the New Testament that uh, David was looking for, and that place David was looking for was in verse 3. He says, Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. We're always looking for a place as a believer, a place where I can feel confident. I want to be in that place. I want to live my life knowing that I'm confident about my faith in God. Now, there was an experience in the New Testament. It was by the Apostle Paul, and he's telling in his second letter to the church in Corinth this, in 2 Corinthians 12, 1. He says, I must go on boasting, although there's nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. They keep me from being conceited because of surpassingly great revelations. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and in persecutions and difficulties for when I am weak, then I am strong. The Apostle Paul tells the church about a great revelation that he had. He was caught up to the third heaven, which he called paradise. The third heaven is where God is. <laughs> That's where he is. And, and, and it was such a great supernatural experience that Paul was not permitted to even describe what he saw. Now, the problem is, if you and I would get such a great revelation like that and experience it, it would cause us to have spiritual pride. That's the greatest danger for Christians, especially ministers who uh, really should be seeking the Lord, 
that when you get a great revelation like that, to keep from being prideful. Because somehow you think that you're something great. Because God allowed you to see such a vision or some things. That's why God doesn't show us a lot of things. Because we can't handle it. You can't handle it. He wants us to see it. But he knows if he did, it would probably destroy some of us. And I've seen it happen many, many times. Seen it happen in church. People in the church, not just the ministers, but people in the church, God give them a revelation. They think they're some high up. They get so heavenly minded, they become no earthly good. They're thinking they are something because they can't handle it. So I'm going to give you uh, some advice here. It's the best thing to concentrate on humility. Because if we humble ourselves, then the Lord said he would raise us up. See, I think that's what happened with Paul. Paul probably lived in humility. God said, I'm going to bring you up. I'm going to show you something. Because you've humbled yourself. But God had a safeguard there with him. Even though he saw it, he saw all this, God wanted Paul to see what was coming. But since he did that, God had to give him something, and that was a thorn in his flesh, which was, was brought to him by Satan. There were many theological debates on, and I've read this many, many times, on what this thorn was. I have my own ideas, but it don't really matter, because the purpose of the thorn is more than what it really was. That's not, if it was important, God would have told us what it was. But it's not. But, but Paul did tell us what the purpose of the thorn was. And the purpose was, in verse 7, he says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. See, great revelations could cause us to become prideful. That's the, the greatest danger for Christians. It's the greatest danger for, uh, for ministers. I remember when I was in with Brother David Hogan, a missionary in Mexico, and uh, is a great man. I've, we've, we've had him speak at our churches over the years. I was in the jungles with him. And he was telling us how he started. He started out there with nothing, him and his wife ministering to Indians in the jungles, and how it was so hard. He said, Brother Carl, the first nine years was hard, he said. It was hard. But God used him in a great way, and people started seeing what he was doing, so people started giving him money. He said, somebody gave me $250,000. He says, I looked at that. He said, I had to give it away. Because he was afraid that that money would have changed him. Then he gave it away. 
Then somebody else gave him another 250000 He says, I took it. I bought five trucks to get into the jungles. <laughs> but he said that when that first $250,000 came, he had to give it away. And they, they were using motorcycles at the time to get that. He says, I had to get back on a horse and go into the jungles like we started to keep me from being prideful on what was going on. See, Paul concluded that the thorn had a purpose. And, a, and the purpose of the thorn was the will of God. You know, Paul pleaded three times with the Lord. Can you take this thing away from me? Get this thorn out of my flesh. It's amazing how Jesus himself pleaded with the Lord in the garden of Gethsemane three times. He told the Father, can, can, do we have to go this way? Is there another way we could do this thing? But Jesus resorted in saying, yet not what I will, but what you will. See, God's will must always prevail in our life. We got to forget about our way, and we got to understand what God's way is for our life. It seems like in Christianity, believers always looking, and I, I did too when I first got saved. I didn't know anything from anything. I said, man, you know, living like this, I'm going to find utopia where everything's going to go right for me. Well, I tell you something. The gospel doesn't promise us that everything's going right in our life. I don't care what some preachers might say. That ain't the way it is. And there are reasons why, why Christians want the thorns removed. Number one, they bother us. They, they, they annoy us. Right? And they keep us from doing what we really want to do. In fact, it makes us look bad as a Christian. You got some kind of thorn. Makes us look like we're weak and faithless. Because there's some teach that if you're going through bad times, you must be in sin. So sometimes a thorn it hurts, it hurts our Christian witness. We're not living in the favor of God. Why am I going through all these things? Why do I have this thorn in my flesh? It attacks my spiritual pride. What is people going to think of me? This is exactly the purpose of the thorns in our life. It's to keep us from having spiritual pride. This is how the King James Version translates verse 7. I like it. And it says, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. God's not going to lie that. He ain't going to lie that to but here's the answer the Lord gave Paul. In verse 9, 
Paul said, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul is writing to the church his response. He was saying, he's okay with that answer. If the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in weakness, Paul said, I'm okay with that. We need to be okay with that. We should also say, as Paul said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. How's that? You want power? That's how it comes. He says, he says Paul was saying, in my weakness, God's power would rest on him. Now, the Greek word that is translated rest here is called epishenoo. I know you're going to remember that. <laughs> but that Greek word is also translated to tabernacle or to pitch a tent. And the definition of it is that it may overshadow me as a tent or a tabernacle, affording me shelter, protection, safety, and rest. It's like Paul drew upon an Old Testament imagery of the glory of God resting upon the tabernacle in the wilderness. If so, he learned that taking delight in his thorn actually brought blessings of God upon his life. You got to get this. If you start murmuring and complaining, you get nothing. That the power of God can actually tabernacle or make a tent over him to give him shelter, protection, and safety. See, this is life in a tabernacle. The idea, the power of God covering us like in a tent. And this speaks of the power of God resting. You're here today, you're suffering about anything. The Shekinah glory of God as a believer will rest upon you as it did over the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. See, that's the life we need to be living. That's living in the tabernacle of God. Paul's revelation of life in the tabernacle was threefold. Here it is. Number one, the Lord's grace is sufficient. After Paul's pleading three times, he pleaded three times with the Lord to take it away, but the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. His grace, the grace of God means his love, his presence, his favor is sufficient. That's it. You got it. His grace is the power to withstand any trial, whether physical, spiritual, emotional, financial, no matter the size of it, no matter the magnitude of it. Life in a tabernacle is a life of humility and confession of our weakness. Paul said he will boast in his weaknesses. 
our dependence upon the Lord himself. Paul told the Philippian church, I can do everything through him who gives me the strength. I can do it all. See, Paul wasn't boasting himself. He said, but I can do everything through him. See, we can do it all through him because he is the one who gets the glory. That's why. That's why. That's what God is really after. God wants us to be successful, not for us, but to bring him glory. He wants our life as a Christian should be just for his glory. Everything we achieve in life is for his glory. Paul tells us that in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Paul said, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him be the glory in the church. My first missionary trip was to British Guyana back in 19, early 1980s. British Guyana is a black country and, and hardly have anything. I was in a church, I mean, nothing, nothing. Just open windows, brick walls, and just dirt floor, everything. I'm preaching there. And I remember a song they were singing. And they sang it over and over and over again. And it was to him be the glory in the church. To him be the glory. And they just kept saying it over and over and over again. To him be the glory in the church. Because everything is for him. Every good thing that the church does should bring glory to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Everything. It's not about us. It's nothing about us. Everything about him. Now, the second thing, Paul's revelation was, his power is made perfect in our weakness. For the Lord answered Paul, he said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, the weaker the believer, the more power is manifested in them. If we just can believe. Now, if anyone is proud, if you're self-sufficient, you don't depend on God for anything, then you get nothing then they're not living in the tabernacle. We who's living in the tabernacle need to recognize our weaknesses before the Lord. Listen, I've done it many, many times. I've been preaching for 42 years. Many times before I get to the pulpit, I tell the Lord, this is beyond me. <laughs> I said, I got a message here. I don't even know what it means. It's beyond me. But I'm going to tell you, God has always come to my rescue. And there was times like that when I would tell the Lord my weaknesses in preaching his word. His word is powerful, but I, I'm weak. He's powerful. I'm weak. And to preach his word, and many times when I felt like that, God gave the greatest result. Because you see, 
when we express our weaknesses towards the Lord, he comes on. See, he, he comes on. See, when a believer does this, then God pours out his strength in the minds and their hearts. When you think you can't go anymore, tell God, I can't go anymore. He said, I got you. I'll take you the rest of the way. But if you keep pressing on in your own, he'll let you until you realize you need him. See, the Lord empowers the believer to overcome and conquer all infirmities, all weaknesses. We gotta, we gotta confess up. Then the help, the provision, sufficiency of God will be evidence that they are living in the tabernacle. Listen, what God wants this world to see out here is His people living in the tabernacle to where no matter what they're facing in their life, because we're going to face the same things, but they're going to see something different. They're going to see a blessing over our lives that the world doesn't have. See? The weakness, the weakness turned to strength. Even it's proven in the record of the Old Testament faith heroes that, that the writer Hebrew gives us in chapter 11, beginning in verse 33. It says, Who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. These faith heroes were living their lives in the tabernacle. <laughs> we can't do this, but you see, we're, we got, we're under a tent of power. And because of that, they began to do the, the faith heroes what, that, that were recorded here that they experienced their weakness turned to strength. When all sufficiency was afforded them, and I want to tell you something, it's afforded to us today. That power is afforded to us today. Where our weakness can turn into strength. Now, the third part of Paul's revelation was this, and it's for Christ's sake. Paul says this in verse 10. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults, hardships, and in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul was saying, it is for Christ's sake that I'm living this way. That in my weakness... He is going to show himself strong for his sake, for Christ's sake. Christ is going to be made known. The only way he's going to be made known in this dark world is through his church. Ain't nobody else going to reveal who Christ is and what he does other than his church. See, Paul's weakness gave Christ an opportunity to prove himself. That's what I learned early in my Christian walk. That I was God's responsibility. Once I commit to him as my father, 
then I'm his responsibility. So if I face problems, then my problems are his problems. And he is going to be magnified and glorified in my life every time he, he takes that trouble and brings it to pass. Every time. See, Paul did this. Paul, Paul's weakness gave Christ an opportunity to prove himself. Paul did it. We need to do it too. In every situation in our life. Whatever we are facing now is a result of the times we're living in. Listen, we're living in some tough times. It might even get worse. But the worse times get, the greater opportunity for God. This is the greatest witness that, that Christians can display before the world is when they see us living in the tabernacle of God. This is what David said the Lord would do in verse 5. He said, For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. He's going to hide us in the shelter of his tabernacle, his tabernacle. See, when we are conscious of our weakness, we are positioning ourselves for God's power to rest upon us. So let's do what Paul did. Why don't we just boast about our weakness? Because this is when the power of God is going to rest upon us. Why don't we live up to our church's name? And let's live as we are living in the tabernacle of God. That the blessings of God and the power of God is going to rest on us. Stand with me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You might be here today. You might be facing something in your life. You might feel that you don't have the strength to get through this thing. Or you don't know what God is going to do. I think we need to do what Paul did. Let's boast about what we're in right now. Let's boast about it. Say, so, yeah, I'm in trouble right now. But guess what? God's going to take care. So why don't we do that today? You have something that you're facing that in yourself, you, you don't know how it's going to work out. If you're dealing with something, you don't feel you have this breath. Watch it step off the way you are. We're going to play. We're going to play the power of God. It's going to tabernacle. God's going to tabernacle. Power is going to 